But then I read the mission statement of Samaritan's Purse, and there's just one line in it that sealed the deal for us, and that was the line that said, you know, we're non-denominational, we provide assistance, and it lists a number of things, and then there's a sentence, or part of a sentence that says, for the purpose of sharing the love of Jesus Christ. And I knew at that point, this is through the organization that we need to go with, because that's what we can do. Like, we can share the love of Christ. Welcome back to another episode of On the Ground with Samaritan's Purse, where we take you to the front lines and behind the scenes of our work around the world. I'm your host, Christy Graham, and today we're sharing a conversation with a member of our staff, Kendall Caulfield. As a missionary kid, Kendall grew up in Southern Africa, and later in life, the Lord eventually called him back overseas, where he served with Samaritan's Purse as the country director of Liberia. He served for 14 years with his family in the pressure of an Ebola outbreak in Liberia. He learned how to depend on God like never before. I'm excited for you to hear about all the Lord has done in and through Kendall as he served faithfully. Kendall has served in so many different roles. Today, he serves as Director of Field Leadership and Development at the International Headquarters. And through this role, he equips and provides mentorship for our leaders living overseas. And he continues to tell his story to encourage others in their faith. Thank you for joining us on the ground. So mm-hmm. today, I, I was hoping you could kind of give us your full testimony and and how God called you to the ministry and what you've seen over the years. Sure. Uh, so to start, um, I know you grew up on the mission field, but maybe tell me yeah, where you're from originally and mm-hmm. then where you grew up and what it was like growing up overseas. Yeah. Uh, thank you for having me mm-hmm. back on the podcast. Um, I was thinking this morning, I'm coming up to 20 years oh. uh, since I was deployed to Liberia. Um, but where it all kind of started, my parents were missionaries mm-hmm. in Southern Africa. Mm-hmm. Uh, my kind of classic missionary story, my dad was a church planner, Bible school teacher, and my mom was a nurse. I was born in Africa, grew up in Africa, and uh, spent... Um, a lot of time in the country of Zimbabwe where I watched my parents um, fulfill their calling. And um, I was blessed to go to Rafale Academy where, mm-hmm. um, for some schooling. Um, and yeah, I'm I, so thankful for my upbringing. You know, mm-hmm. I, I remember when I got married to Bev, um, she had not been overseas at that point. And I knew I needed to take her to show her hmm. this is where I grew up because that's really what shaped me in those formative years. And so I remember her saying to me when uh, we went and visited and came back, she said, well, now I know why you walk slowly, hmm. you know? And and so it was just important because that's who I am is where I grew up. Hmm. And what was interesting though, is that when I graduated from high school, I didn't feel called to go back. Mm-hmm. Even though I'd watched my parents, um, God used them in just incredible ways. Um, at that point, it just wasn't my, I didn't feel that it, I should go back. And I think there were some reasons for that. Um, and they were, I think in my immaturity of my faith, I just was not sure if this was worth the effort mm-hmm. that was being put in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I just saw the struggles. I saw kind of the big issues, poverty, corruption, mm-hmm. tribalism, conflict. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, I, 
I think I just want to go back to North America and because hmm. I'm not sure I can make any difference in this and maybe it's not worth the effort that hmm. we're making, others are making. I left Africa in 1988 when I graduated from high school and had no intention of ever coming back. But um, but it wasn't because it wasn't a good experience mm-hmm. or I didn't see God use my parents. I really did. And I, I saw just incredible things and legacies that continue on today through their ministry as missionaries. Um, but I think it was just more my immaturity in terms mm-hmm. of really should we be investing time and effort like we are? Hmm. I'm glad that you talked about that. Because, yeah, as in people listening, you know, we did talk to your wife, Bev, recently. Um, we kind of heard her story and, and the way the Lord called her. And, yeah. and part of that was with you. And so I was hoping you'd be willing to talk about that because I loved yeah. how she said she felt called to serve yes. first. So you, you met in Canada in college yes. and you, you were coaches and athletes and, and very involved mm-hmm. in ministry. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the Lord started stirring her heart mm-hmm. to serve overseas mm-hmm. yeah. before you. And, and I was, I was hoping you'd talk about this because I think, you know, when we adopted, you know, I tell people all the time, you both have to be on the same page. You know, right. if God's calling one of you, right. pray right. for right. your spouse to be united. Cause I think any step out in faith, God has to, have called both of you, right. and it shouldn't be just a, a nagging of one of the spouses. So, I guess right. talk to me about those early days. You know, when Bev felt the stir to serve overseas, you still weren't there. How did the Lord soften your heart, or how did He yeah. make it or reveal to you that it was time to go? Right. Yeah, Bev, I I just love her so mm-hmm. much and so proud of her. As I explained, I had no desire to go mm-hmm. back overseas. Um. Bev, through a couple of events and Samaritan's Purse, actually she was an intern with Samaritan's Mm -hmm. Purse and uh, went and served in Honduras and came back um, and she she told me and and she said, God is calling me to work internationally. Hmm. And being the loving husband that I am, I said, well, God's not calling me, so Hmm. I'm not sure how this is going to work out. And Bev is so patient because... Hmm. uh, there was a period of about five, six years where she felt called and I didn't. And I just give her so much credit because she could have pushed me into something that I wasn't ready to do. Um, but she kept on reminding me of her calling. Mm. And I just said to her, I said, well, when God needs to call me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we had this tension um, but I was confronted by a missionary um, mm. that was serving in India. He was my best friend's uncle. I'd never met this person before in my life. And we were at a, I don't know, birthday party or something. And uh, this missionary uh, to India, he's he was an older gentleman. He just walked up to me and called me out. He didn't mm. even know me. Mm. And he just said, I heard you're... You grew up on the mission field. Why are you not back out on the mm-hmm. mission field? And he didn't give me a chance to say anything. And and he said, you're afraid. Mm. And his words to me were, you're afraid to die. Mm. And I was like, I, I was stunned. And in my mind, I probably was saying, yeah, I, I am. You know, and and he he just said, you need to consider what God is calling you to, and, and walked away. And I remember coming back and telling Bev that, and you know, still not convinced or um, 
But then it was a scripture that I read, and the scripture was about just give a glass of water. And, and all of a sudden it hit me, and the Lord spoke, and, and I don't have kind of the big writings on the wall you know, situations mm-hmm. when God speaks to me, but there was a, a clear sense in my heart that he said, you, you can't fix poverty. Mm. You, you can't fix conflict and tribalism and corruption. That, leave those to me. All I want you to do is go and give one person a glass of water. Mm. Go and love one person. And so the combination of that missionary gentleman just calling out um, some of the issues that I was dealing with, and then that that just impression of we're not called to take care of these massive issues. Mm-hmm. I, I God was calling me just to go and love one person, mm-hmm. and um, I shared that with Bev, mm-hmm. and we were coming back from an appointment. I don't remember what it was, but we were in the car together, and. I told Bev kind of the impression that God had put on my heart, and then I said, "Bev, I'm, I'm ready to go," hmm. and and she said, "Pray about it, you know, because hmm. if you're saying this, you better be, it better be real, because I know I'm called, but you hmm. you better sense it." So uh, there was maybe a couple weeks, and I came back. And I said, "No, we're going. Mm-hmm. Let's go," and she said, "All right," and. Um, we started looking at organizations. Hmm. But then I read the mission statement of Samaritan's Purse. And there's just one line in it that sealed the deal for us. And that was the line that said, you know, we're non-denominational, we provide assistance and it lists a number of things. And then there's a sentence or part of a sentence that says, for the purpose of sharing the love of Jesus Christ. Hmm. And I knew at that point, this is who the organization that we need to go with because that's what we can do. Like we can share the love of Christ. We, mm. If God wants to use us to do different things that we do, that's great. But the reason we're here is to share the love of Christ. And when I read it, this realization came to me that is humbling that God has allowed us to be part of his eternal plan for people that he brings into our, in, in, across our paths. And mm-hmm. So the thought of doing a project that might affect somebody's life eternally mm-hmm. just was like, sign me up, let's go. Mm. And so that's kind of the Cole's Note version of how we, in 2004, um, applied with Samaritan's Purse. And we were heading to Angola, and mm. we were asked to come to headquarters, um, and we met with the director of projects at that time, Mr. Don Norrington. And John Friedel walked in beside me, and he said, there's a change, and we want you to go mm-hmm. to Liberia. And so um, I learned something about Samaritan's Purse then, too, that things change. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how we ended up going to Liberia on uh, January 5th, 2005. Hmm. Wow. So many things I want to talk about. But thank you for sharing all that. I just I love the way... And, and I love how you said it took time, because I think some people will see and hear about you and Bev and think, wow, you know, I want to be like them, mm-hmm. uh, you know, but the Lord, it took time. You know, yes, you have served faithfully for many years, and the Lord has used you, and, and you've been obedient, but 
it's not it didn't happen overnight right. and so i love i love people hearing that cuz i think you know and then i think of mary and joseph you know how he spoke to them both privately through mm-hmm. an angel you know mm-hmm. to prepare them mm-hmm. and i think it's good for all of us to stay humbly uh, relying on the Lord, mm-hmm. um, you know, in marriage or, or whatever we're called to do, mm-hmm. asking the Lord every day, what do you what do you have for me today? Because mm-hmm. I think we can get prideful or get close to things out of fear. Or and it's interesting hearing you because I think being a missionary, serving overseas would be easy. But as you mentioned, you almost know too much, and I, I just think mm-hmm. of me even having been with the military. I love it, but mm-hmm. the thought of my boys or, or even my daughter serving, I think I know so much that it does scare me a little more. But it also um, so there, there's, but there's good to be naive, but there's good mm-hmm. to know what you're going into. Mm-hmm. So I think you were probably were more intentional in praying. If mm-hmm. I'm going to go, mm-hmm. I have to be called. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's, there's good and bad. So I guess it's neat to see God can use all of us because Bev didn't have overseas. Uh, she didn't grow up with that. You did, but it, it was, you know, the Lord had to call both of you. So mm-hmm. I think that's encouraging for all of us to hear. Um, God, you know, our background doesn't always direct what we do. Right. But sometimes he does use uh, that experience. So, yeah, so your first calling was to serve overseas in Liberia as the country director. Uh, it was a very new office, uh, mm-hmm. very uh, small staff. So you essentially, it was a building country office. So talk to me about going there, what it was like um, in just those early days. Right. So I'll, I'll incriminate myself a little bit here because um, on the plane going over, mm-hmm. Bev was teaching me what it meant to serve or lead in a humanitarian mm. aspect. So I, that wasn't my background. I hadn't studied it in school. Uh, and um, I, I remember she was quizzing me on acronyms on the plane mm. going to Brussels. <laughs> and so she would say to me, Kendall, what, what does WFP stand for? And I was like, mm, I, I, I have no idea. It's a world food program. It's a UN arm. Mm-hmm. And so I, I say that hmm. not because I don't, uh, we should be prepared mm-hmm. and we should know, but hmm. I say that because anything that we did in Liberia under my leadership was not because of my education or my experience. Mm-hmm. It was it was truly just God and, and His grace. I quickly learned a lot very quickly and and. I wouldn't encourage that to be the entry point mm-hmm. for, uh, but that was my entry point. And so when I when I got on the ground, it was a, it was a very small office, um, and we had two national field staff full time, mm-hmm. and then there was Bev and I, and our our house was our office, and so we mm-hmm. used to push aside the the furniture in the living room and pull out the desks, and it would be our office from you know, seven in the morning till five at night, then we'd pull out the living room. And first devotions, we had four people. And and I just knew that I just want to do things that honor our mission statement, mm-hmm. which is to share the love of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And I determined that anything that happened, we would give God the glory for it. And so we just started to see where there was opportunities. And the first opportunity that came our way was um, we were working with an orphanage that was taken in uh, children uh, who had lost their parents during the war. And there was a, um, this Liberian lady, her name was Mama Fita, and she mm-hmm. just walked around and grabbed kids that were orphans. Mm-hmm. 
and took care of them. And then Bev being uh, water um, uh, educated, and so we started programming Biosan Water Filter. Mm -hmm. And then we saw opportunities to provide livelihoods for those that were returning from um, you know, being displaced because of the conflict. And so we started doing sheep and goat projects. Mm -hmm. And and we just, every time I, I remember we would get an approval, we would, we had this poster up on our office where it just said, to God be the glory. And we'd mm -hmm. write, we just got approved to buy a land cruiser, to God be the glory. We mm -hmm. just started a project for, we thought was big time, $20,000 mm -hmm. to do, mm -hmm. you know, sheep and goats. And mm -hmm. just determined to, honor the Lord and what we did and tell people about Jesus and give him the glory. And mm. that's really how it began um, and started hiring good people, good mm. staff. And, you know, my mind goes back to some of the early staff members that we hired, and I just thank the Lord for bringing them with mm. us, you know, to, to serve with us. And so... Um, to look back and see what God did, mm -hmm. it had nothing to do with my ability mm -hmm. because I came into it with very little. But it was a determination as a team to tell people about Jesus mm -hmm. and give Him the glory. And things started to roll. And I think that's, you know, th there's some importance to that. You know, momentum starts to build and you start mm -hmm. to trust the Lord, you start to see more opportunities. And so we became part of a consortium and implemented a large grant for the mm -hmm. U.S. government. And we just always came back to that core of who we are. We're missional about the gospel. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, as I look back now, I'm just thankful that I didn't know a lot mm -hmm. because maybe I wouldn't have been, mm -hmm. you know, reliant on the Lord the way I should have been. Um, you know, the first couple of years from going from two staff, all of a sudden we had a staff of 300, 400, wow. you know, multiple programming. You know, I recall kind of bumping into other organizations and it wasn't working. So we went to the extreme furthest places in Liberia and hmm. people mocked us for it. They said, well, you can't program there. You can't even get there, hmm. you know, and I just felt that the Lord was calling us to be where nobody else could get hmm. to. And that was all part of his providential plan. Um, you know, as I look back on it, we were working up in FOIA, and that was where case zero of the Ebola crisis was, mm -hmm. was five kilometers from where we were working. Mm -hmm. And so when you look back on it, you can see how God has directed that. Um, so even to this day, I just, I give God all the glory. Mm -hmm. And i thankful for the team that, I worked with, and I'm so thankful for my wife who was kept me going the right direction many times. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You're such a powerful team. Um, I mean, you are still. For people who may hear what's a country office, you know, can you maybe explain? Because uh, I think so many people hear of our responses, maybe to COVID or earthquakes or you know disasters. Our our disaster assistance response teams that goes uh, mm -hmm. reactively, but in in my opinion, you know. Country offices are more proactive. We we go for a purpose. So many country offices that they get established and, you know, we're going to stay as long as we're needed. We're still in Liberia, mm -hmm. um, but sometimes they do close if we're not needed anymore. So maybe talk about country offices and why, why did we go into Liberia? Generally, I think the way it happens is we – there's a disaster mm -hmm. um, and we respond as an organization to the disaster. Mm -hmm. 
those responses, um, if God leads leadership, mm. uh, can result in a country office being established. Mm -hmm. And so, um, those country offices then exist to continue on the mission that we have as an organization. So, in Liberia, the, the conflict was a civil crisis. And mm -hmm. so, there was a, a, a civil crisis over a 20-year period that had really resulted in a completely failed state in Liberia. Mm -hmm. And so, Samaritan's Purse uh, responded to it. Some of the first programs were disarming child soldiers, hmm. providing food, um, and then it moved into, as the displaced persons were coming back, providing some assistance. And, and so, the office was established. Um, and then I think in, in many cases, you know, the needs continue. And so, uh, Liberia office still exists, but the conflict is, you know, uh, close to 25 years ago. Mm. Um, but there's opportunities for us to continue to serve with the church in mm -hmm. Liberia. Mm -hmm. um, there's still uh, many physical needs. There's, uh, there's ongoing needs in terms of um, just, yeah, just different disasters happen, mm -hmm. you know, some of them uh, within the country. So, um, I think as long as there's a, a need mm -hmm. physically, as long as there's a, a need spiritually, and I think as long as there's opportunity to be missional, mm -hmm. um, the office will remain open and, and mm -hmm. operating. Mm -hmm. um, we currently have, I think, 17 field offices. Mm -hmm. And so that number grows and shrinks depending mm -hmm. on the circumstances. And, and so um, leadership spends a lot of time praying over offices and making decisions in terms of, mm -hmm. do we continue, do we not continue? Um, and so, uh, at this point, the library office is still, is still operating. Mm -hmm. I, I think of Bahamas. That's another mm -hmm. place where I was able to be part of. There was a Hurricane Dorian. That's mm -hmm. what brought Samaritan's Purse. We responded. We worked with the church. We built up the capacity of the church to respond to future hurricanes if it was to happen in Bahamas. And after 18 months, we had done that job mm -hmm. and it was time for us to leave and we left. And so, um, it just depends on the context in terms of how the offices operate. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. Thank you. I know that's a side note, but I just thought people listening might be curious. Um, so, and then let's come back to Ebola. So, like you said, you had come after the, you know, responding primarily to the civil crisis and, you know, allowing people to, as they were trying to um, heal and rebuild. And I know the wounds are ongoing. I mean, there's still, people are still have the scars from that. So, your programming was was growing as the needs grew, but then Ebola hit. And you were not, you did not foresee that. So, I think that's what God does. You know, sometimes He allows us, as you mentioned, to get in somewhere ahead of time, build rapport, you know, have the local church, move into remote areas that you may not have chosen, but he led you there, and then he bull ahead. So maybe tell me, what year did, was that? How long had you been there? And what was that like, going through that unknown, terrifying mm. disease? I know you're eager to hear the rest of the conversation as we dive into the Ebola outbreak, but today we're out of time. I want to encourage you to go to SamaritansPurse.org slash listen to hear part two of this conversation. You can also find our podcast On the Ground with Samaritan's Purse on Apple, Spotify, or YouTube. 
Not only did we talk about the Ebola outbreak in Liberia, but also how God is continuing to grow his faith. Part two is actually my favorite part of the episode as he talks about how God is continually walking with him. I know you'll be encouraged. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you have a great week.